0: All right. Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to bring it down just a little bit. We're considering verse 7 this morning, but for context, let's begin reading God's word. Verse 1 of Exodus 20. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Would you pray with me? Father, we do recognize that we come on holy ground as we approach you, as we consider your word that you've revealed to us. Lord, in a day and an age where we have so many accessible means to hear your word, to read your word, it is so easily taken for granted in the great privilege that we have to hear and to receive your word in our own language. So, Father, we ask that you would help us this morning To lay hold of this truth that is given to us here in your holy word. That we would know how better to respond to you, to your word, with both reverence and great joy. Lord, we know those two attributes have long marked out the people of God in their worship of you. Revering your name and overflowing with joy inexpressible. So, Father, we long for both, because your word speaks of both. So we ask that you would humble us, that you would help us, and that by the ministry of your own spirit, you would cause great fruit to be born as we consider this third commandment, we pray. Amen. Really, one of the first decisions nearly every parent must make is to decide upon a name for their child. Almost every parent feels at some point the weight of this decision because we want it to be unique, but not absurd. Uh, We want it to be meaningful, perhaps some family history or legacy, perhaps even symbolizing some important belief that we hold to and consider to be worthy of passing on. As we think about these names, we often think about the negative associations by ruling out any sort of schoolyard rhyming or embarrassing nicknames that might come with such a name that we would give to one of our children, because names matter. There's a reason that names like Judas and Jezebel typically aren't in the top 100 names that you'll hear in this coming year. Names carry weight. Names set the tone. A name often gives an impression to others long before you meet them, whether right or wrong. And this concern over a name is not lost upon God. He takes it so seriously that he actually includes the handling of his name within these 10 words, these 10 commandments. If you remember, the first commandment specifies the God whom we should worship. The second commandment regulates the means by which he is to be worshipped. And this third commandment mandates the reverence for the name of this God that we do worship. Now, I wonder if you hear the first two commandments as obvious and obligatory and certainly foundational. But maybe you hesitate or even struggle just for a minute to hear the third commandment holding such weight. I mean, of all the things that the Lord God would choose to reveal, only choosing to reveal these ten. And of those ten, he points to his name. Remember what else is alongside this third commandment. Are we to understand that the name of God is to be held the same sort of concern and reverence for idolatry, adultery, murder? And here God gives our attention to this third commandment, concerning the reverence for his name. Remember, there is a connection, as we said in the first week, between our love for God and the law of God. Specifically, God tells us that we are to love him with our all, and he's defined what love is by giving us his law. Meaning, love for God is not just emotional gush. It's not just emoting some particular thought or feeling. Love for God is clarified and made tangible through the law of God. That's how we understand what it looks like to love God. That's how we understand it's not a subjective, just this is what I think it means to love God, but we go to God's word, we open it, and we find that God has said, this is how you love me. This is what an expression of love to me looks like. And one way we express our love for God is through the honoring of his name. And the third commandment helps us to know how we can do that. So this morning, we're just going to ask two questions of this third commandment, praying that the Lord would bless the preaching of his word and that through our consideration here, the Holy Spirit would help us to better understand what it means to honor the name of the Lord our God. First question is this. Why the concern over God's name? Let's just begin with a why question. I think in order for us to feel the weight of this command, we need to see how the scriptures repeatedly attach a person's name to their person. Specifically here, how the scripture repeatedly attaches God's name to God's purposes and his person. Consider how God reveals himself by his name. We've already seen this, haven't we, in the book of Exodus. We read our Bibles and we find this is, becomes almost a pattern and that there's a connection between a person's name and their character. And you think of a few in your reading of Genesis thus far this year, moving into Samuel, the prophets, where their name kind of gives you a little bit of a foreshadow of, oh, I think I know what's going to happen with this Jacob guy. And you get a little insight into what's going on there. So too the name of the Lord. God's revelation of himself through his name is a critical element woven into this Exodus narrative. Remember back to chapter 3, as Moses is out there in the wilderness, he sees this bush that is burning but is not consumed, and he approaches, and it's not something you see every day in the backside of the wilderness, and it's there that God reveals himself, not only his holiness, but God reveals his name. He reveals himself to Moses as, I am that I am. Or you could even shorten it down even more by saying, Moses, I am. And from those two words, we understand something. Just kind of the door opens just a bit to understand more of the person, the character, the being, the essence of who this God of Abraham is. That he is I am in the sense that he's self-existent. He needs no one. He is eternal. He has no beginning or no end that he's almighty, all-powerful, that he is, I am. And as we keep making our way through the book of Exodus, we find that this name contains further revelation. The link between God's name and his character comes up again in chapter 33. You're close enough. Why don't you turn over a couple of chapters to Exodus chapter 33 and hear how the name of the Lord gives us revelation of this Lord. Exodus 33, look at verse 18. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Now skip ahead to chapter 34. Look at verse 5. There we read, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him, Moses, there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So what do we have here? Well, what we have is that to hear God's name is to hear who he is. Or to say it another way, God's name is not contrary to his being. His name is consistent. With who he is. His name marks him out. It identifies who he is. And when you hear the name of the Lord, you are intended to gather up all that you know of the Lord and take that into recognition when you say, The Lord. That's why everywhere in Scripture, the name of the Lord is called upon to be exalted to the highest possible measure. Psalm 8, verse 1 O Lord, our Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm 29, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. And that's more than just the letters that are on the page there. It's more than just the graphical representation of Yahweh. It is to give to the name of the Lord all that he is. Ascribe to him the glory that he deserves. Or how about our Lord's own teaching? Disciples to teach us to pray. What was one of the instructions there? Oh, well, Matthew 6, verse 9. Pray like this Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In Acts 4, 2, Peter would stand and he would preach that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Or Paul in Romans chapter ten thirteen, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is not just some magical incantation if you say these letters grouped according to this particular pattern that there's some mystical property contained within them. To call upon the name of the Lord is to call upon the person of the Lord, his character, his revealed attributes. It's who he is. So clearly the Bible does not want us just to glance over or deal flippantly or forget the holy importance of God's name. Because if we take up his name in a vain or empty way, then we're treating it with less care than it deserves. Rather than flippantly or casually throwing around God's name in casual conversation, God's people are to give unto the Lord the glory due his name. And to sing to the honor of his name. To take the name of God lightly. Is to take God himself lightly. And the Lord says he will not hold him guiltless. Who considers his name to be of little concern. Others may not see this to be a big deal. Perhaps you can think of others even in your own life that consider God's name to be flippant, a flippant matter, of no serious concern. But God says it is of great concern to him. Your coworkers, your neighbors, friends, as you're on the court with your fellow teammates, parents, maybe you go home or visit them on occasion. God's name is not revered. The grief of having adult children and seeing in their own lives, no concern for God nor his name. Yahweh says, I will not hold them guiltless. You can hear this concern in the 61st question of the Baptist Catechism, which asks, what's the reason annexed to the third commandment? Well, the reason... Annexed to the third commandment is that, however, the breakers of this commandment may escape punishment from men, yet the Lord our God will not suffer them to escape his righteous judgment. There's not too many places where the Christian name of God in a civil society goes punished. God says, even if that's the case, even if in your culture, even if in your home, men consider this of little consequence. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Remember who I am. And remember that when you speak of my name, you speak of who I am. And so there's a particular honor that's to be given to this name. From this, I think we ought to be very careful when we attach God's name to our opinions to our plans, even to our preferences. How often do we read of in the Old Testament when God warned his people against speaking in his name when he did not in fact speak? Slipping or slapping God's name onto our plans, our opinions, our ideas, our preferences, just like we stick stickers on our water bottles just because we feel strongly about something and so we add God's name to that, we should be very careful and we should be understanding the dangerous risk of assuming such a practice. It would be wiser to say, if the Lord wills, I plan to do this. Or, I think it would please the Lord if we... There's a bit more humility contained in those phrases rather than speaking authoritatively and using God's name as leverage to somehow push through plans, opinions, preferences, things that are not outright contained explicitly in Scripture, thus says the Lord. We should be mindful of God's care for his own name attached to whatever it may be attached to. and Likewise, any ministry, any pastor, any evangelist, any author, should stop and seriously consider the weight of attaching God's name to promote their ends. God will not hold them guiltless. Now we hear these warnings and they're given to us to not only hear but by God's design, His law to search us out and to convict us if there's any way in which we see that we are treating God's name lightly. Those are the areas that, by God's ministry of His Spirit, is getting into the soil of our hearts and calling us to repent of that sin and to believe what God's word says about Himself, not only in His authority, but in His forgiveness. Instead of pulling God down to our level, The third commandment calls us to elevate our understanding and handling of God's name to be consistent with who he is. Our words and thoughts of God should be consistent with the worth of God. Whenever we think about God, whatever we speak about him, friends, it should leave the savor of his excellence It should be consistent with the loftiness of his name, and it should serve to magnify his greatness. That should be the remaining aroma when we speak of our God. Consider, secondly, why this is of great concern. Because God has most fully revealed himself in the name of his son. Why should we care about the name of God? Because God has seen fit to reveal himself most fully through the name of Christ. Remember that the law reflects God's character and attributes as well as Christ's perfect righteousness. We need to read these Ten Commandments within the greater scope of redemptive history. They not only reveal to us the being and character of God, but they serve us to propel us forward into Christ, showing us more of his perfections, what he's come to do and accomplish. That's why in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish, but to fulfill them. And when we hear that Christ has fulfilled the law, we must never think that he has erased the law. He's transformed it most certainly. What that means, Christian, is that as you belong to Christ, the law no longer hangs over you in a covenant of works whereby you are justified or condemned by your keeping of it. Christ has satisfied the demands of the law. But that does not mean that the law is somehow of no use to you, Christian. It is transformed. It is of great use. And one of those uses is that by looking into this law, we gain a clear sight of our need for Christ and the perfections of his obedience. That's language straight from our confession in chapter 19. That by looking into the law, I find a particular area that maybe I was ignorant of where I need Jesus here. And in seeing my great need, I see he's also fulfilled this, and I see something of his greatness. Church, it's absolutely critical that we recognize Christ's connection to the third commandment. Remember that God's name is consistently connected to his redemptive activity. Think back to Exodus 33. What are those attributes that when he passes before Moses and says, the Lord, the Lord, what are those attributes having to do with? Mercy, grace, abounding in steadfast love, the reality of judgment, the promise of forgiveness. See, this whole revelation of who God is, he's revealing himself to his people, not only showing his authority that he is the I am, the self-existent one, that he is the merciful and gracious one who makes covenant with his people Steadfast love enduring for generation. Those are themes and images of redemption. And if Christ is to be the fulfillment of all the covenant promises we find in the Old Testament, then Christ must be the very incarnation of the name of God. And lo and behold, what do we find in the first chapter of the first book of our New Testament? An angel who delivers a message about a name that he says in Matthew chapter 1 to Joseph concerning Mary that she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And then Matthew gives us a little footnote to help us which means God with us. The very name of Christ reflects the redemptive purposes of God to call a people unto himself to save them from their sins. Through the life, the death, the resurrection of Christ, we're redeemed from the dominion of Satan, the curse of sin, the curse of death, we're brought into the kingdom of God and we are brought into the dominion of the triune Lord whom we rest under forever And so for this very reason, Paul speaks of the apex of redemptive history, teaching us in Philippians 2 that God has highly exalted him, Christ, bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father that the name of Jesus is to be held in highest regard because of who he is, remembering that he is the revelation of the Father. We take great concern for the name of God because God reveals his name most fully in the person of Christ. Christ is the incarnation of the name of God. God reveals him most fully in the name of the Son. He's the second person of the Trinity, very God of very God, the fulfillment of God's saving purposes manifested in the flesh. Yes, we are to honor the name of God because it's by the name of God that we hear who he is, and we hear this most fully in the name, the person, the character, the mission of our Lord Jesus, the prophet, the priest. The king, he's revealed the father and secured salvation of his people. That's the why question. Why we seek to revere the name of God. Well, let's ask the how question. How how do we do this? Should we just remove all references to God from our written language? Should we do some sort of physical act each time we speak of him? What does the scriptures teach? If we read these commands, we need to move beyond the mere words because the right interpretation of each commandment must also ask, what's the reason for this command? Why was it given? In each commandment, we're to investigate what's ultimately concerned with and God giving us this command. If command is given to us in a negative, showing us what displeases God, you should seek to understand that, but not stop there. Because true understanding, interpretation, and application of these commands tell us not simply to look at the negative, but to flip that on the other side. And if it forbids this and it displeases God, then what would He approve of that would show us what pleases Him? So, how might we faithfully honor? God's name. Let's just consider three reasons, three ways. We can honor God's name, friends, by proclaiming the excellencies of his name. We speak of what we love. We tell people what is worth seeing, tasting, experiencing, visiting, spending money on, and we revere the worth of that particular object. Friends, how much more so Uh, We give honor to the name of Christ by testifying of the excellencies of his name. We can do this as we tell of his wonders and speak of his worth to our children, to our grandchildren. Psalm 78.4 gives us some help here. We will not hide them from our children, but tell the coming generation of the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Tell your children, tell your grandchildren. Tell your nieces, your nephews, tell the coming generation of the excellencies of Christ. It could be very specific when you speak of His provision in your life. Testifying to your kids, God has provided so graciously for us in this way. Look what we have. Don't attach what you have to your direct deposit. Attach what you have to the God who gives all things. You can speak of his excellencies as you talk about his grace that he's had upon you. Do your children, your grandchildren, your nieces and nephews know your own testimony, Christian? Do they know the excellencies of his worth and magnifying his grace and how he sought you out? Regardless of what that story is and the particular details, have you magnified God's grace to your children? Do they know the story of how you came to faith? That's one way that we honor the name of the Lord. Speak often of his wisdom. As you're out and about, you see something in creation, you read a news story, some scientific development, some wonder of the created universe, point that out, highlight it, circle it in red, and say, look at the wisdom of God and what he does. You're testifying of his worth. You're testifying of his excellencies of his name. We can do this also as we give him praise and thanks among his people. I mean, this is the aim of our our public worship as we lift high the name of Jesus and our spiritual sacrifices of praise. Is there any better way to honor the Lord than by the people of God intentionally and consistently gathering on the first day of the week, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, and lifting our voices to extol the name of Christ? The public worship of God. You could be doing a hundred different things today and yet as God's people we are saying we will gather to make the name of Christ known, that we will extol his worth and think about his excellencies, that we will praise him for his grace and his power and his wisdom. And though I could do this on my own and give him praise, in God's wisdom he said we should all get together We should do this because this is his good design. And when the saints lift their voices, how good it is to hear of God's worth. And so we order the first day of our week to rest in Christ and revere his name as we testify each Lord's Day the honor that he's due. I think that's something of what Robert Grant had in mind when he wrote the hymn, O Worship the King, All Glorious Above. It's that hymn Where that one verse where, commends us as we tell of his might and sing of his grace. Perhaps you know the first verse. Oh, worship the king, all glorious above. Oh, gratefully sing his power and his love. Our shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. That's what the saints of God do when they gather on the first day of the week. We honor God's name when we proclaim his excellencies. And... How else can we do this? Well, we can honor God's name by ordering our lives to reflect his name. We tell of his worth. We also seek to order our lives to reflect his name. Here's the astonishing thing. The astonishing testimony of scripture is that God sets his name on his people. Think about that for a minute. Some of you who own businesses, perhaps your name is within the business, and you know all those that represent you represent your name, and so maybe you're very cautious about who you hire, what jobs you take. You know that your name will be reflected upon whomever you send. God set his name upon his people. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, immutable, immense, eternal, almighty, infinite, most wise, most holy, graciously chooses to justify the ungodly. He puts his name on a rebellious people who, though they are physically alive, they are spiritually dead, and he animates them unto himself, and he says, mine, And not only does he just say mine, he says, you will be known. This is not going to be a secret. I want the world to know my name is upon you. I'm actually going to go out of my way to publicly make sure that my people are known by my name. How would God do this? The risen Jesus and all of his authority when he told us to go and make disciples of all nations, told we're to be baptizing them in the name, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Followers of Christ have the name of God set upon them, identified by his name. He forgives their sin. He makes atonement for guilt. He imparts new life all through the gracious work of Christ and then he says, mine. First Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have receive mercy. See, friends, by virtue of our union with Christ, we bear his name. He places his name upon you, Christian, and says, mine. If God's name is an expression of his character, and if God's church bears his name, then our lives are to be lived in alignment as a reflection of his name. This is God's design. Throughout the New Testament writings, we continually bump into these two truths. Maybe you've you've seen this. They always are really close to each other, whether it's an epistle of Paul or John, even the teachings of Christ. Two truths that we keep bumping into. One truth, that God has graciously set his love upon you. And walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. The gospel is the good news of death of Christ's death and resurrection for repentant and believing sinners. This good news creates gospel people who are zealous for good works. We who belong to him now, we honor and revere the name of God because he's our redeemer, he's our savior, he's our king. And we possess the name of Jesus as Christians. And so the purpose and the pattern of our lives, it's transformed. The gospel is and the gospel does. Those are those statements. God has graciously set his love upon you. Walk worthy to the calling with which you've been called. Or some version of both. Some announcement of what God does graciously. And then the teaching as to how we respond. In light of that, this is true. There's a gospel announcement that goes out to all the earth, and then there's a gospel adorning that is upon God's people. So a New Testament exhortation that would put this third commandment in positive language would probably sound something like this. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. That's one example. It's Colossians 3.17. See, we obey the third commandment by living as Christians, by speaking and doing accordingly to the graciously given family name. The name, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So how do we do this? We honor God's name by proclaiming his excellencies by ordering our lives to reflect his name, and thirdly, by calling others to put their trust in his name. As New Testament saints, we fulfill the Old Testament promise to declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among the peoples. That's 1 Chronicles 16. This is the pattern of New Testament evangelism. Listen to Acts 2. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You can turn to Acts chapter 4, just a few moments later, a few pages later, verse 7. And when they had set them, again, Peter and John in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and peoples and elders, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The pattern of New Testament evangelism from Peter's first sermon at Pentecost, really until Christ returns, is Christians calling sinners to repent and be baptized believing upon the name of Christ, believing upon the character, the person, the ministry, the revelation of all that Jesus is. This is our reminder then that we're not simply calling people to change their behavior. Stop doing that. Start doing this. There ought to be a change in behavior and what it means to be a Christian that's really not our primary call. It's also a reminder that we're not calling other people to a certain political platform. Even if you find elements of certain biblical morality in that platform, the greatest concern, the greatest need is not alignment with a particular political platform. It's a reminder that we're not calling people to conform to a particular earthly culture. Well, we're Americans, and we figured a few things out, so this is what it means to be a Christian. You should order your Christian life like us. Well, only insofar that that us is biblical-warranted commands. What are we ultimately calling people to? To put their trust in Jesus. The sort of trust that the Bible speaks of is the trust that's seen in belief and repentance of sin. The Great Commission is not the starting place for evangelism. It's the culmination of God's promised work. For thousands of years, he has been promising, working to make his name known among the nations. From the first gospel promise in Exodus 3.15, through Abraham, through the various reigns of, of David and Solomon, into the prophets and onward, God has even seen fit to preserve his people in the midst of their captivity because God has been working through all of that to do what? To make his name known among the nations. And he will have his name known among the nations. He'll send a Redeemer to gather a people to himself, and then he will thrust them out into every language, tribe, and people. And so, we go into all the world proclaiming the name of Christ, testifying of the excellencies of his worth, calling upon people to repent. And believe. We honor the name of the Lord when we speak of Jesus and his worth to be worshiped and the need to repent and believe. Hear this in the testimony of Psalm 66 and ask yourself can you say this this morning? Shout for joy to God, all the earth, sing the glory of his name give him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. To hear the name of God, revealed in the person of Christ is to gather up everything that scripture reveals to us about him and we extol it, proclaim it, and call people to trust upon him as a result of his revelation. Christian, you honor the name of the Lord by considering the gracious act of God to put his name upon you, to order your life as a sacrificial praise of worship unto him, and making his name known to others. When we do that, we are honoring God's design for us. We are showing love for God when we honor his name in this way. So we can say, yes, names matter. Names carry weight. Names set the tone Names even give us an idea or an impression of someone long before we see them face to face. In 1779, Pastor John Newton wrote a hymn, How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds. Within it, he poetically captured the cry of every believer concerning the name of Jesus. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It soothes our sorrows, it heals our wounds, and drives away our fear. It makes the wounded spirit whole and calms the troubled breast. Tis manna to the hungry soul and weary rest. O Jesus, shepherd, guardian, friend, my prophet, priest, and king, my Lord, my life, my way, my end, accept the praise I bring. How weak the effort of my heart. How cold my warmest thought, but when I see you as you are, I'll praise you as I ought. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. And so for such good and gracious reasons, the people of God love to lift up the name of God and most fully and most completely in the name of Jesus. So church, let me ask you. Do you hear the name of Jesus? And do you know something of the goodness, mercy, and forgiveness that he brings? Does his name ring sweet in your ear? Because you know what his name means. Because you know by God's word and spirit what he has come to do and who he is. Amidst trial and affliction? or abundance in all manner of comfort. Is his name the one that you love most? May our Lord continue to warm our cold thoughts and fill our mouths with his praises as we experience his grace. Let's pray and ask that he would do that. Father, we thank you for the goodness and mercy that you show to us and revealing yourself to us clearly and plainly, that you give to us an understanding of who you are and that when we hear of your name, we know something of you, that we are not left in the dark as to just have some name with no idea of who you are, but that you've given to us the revelation of who you are the glory of God revealed in the face of Christ, that Christ has come revealing to us the Father. Oh, Lord, would you cause us to love your name? Would you cause us to be the sort of people that anticipate reading and hearing, speaking and thinking upon your name insofar as you've revealed just how good and gracious Powerful, eternal, full of wisdom, might, holiness, and eternality that you are. Lord, cause your good work among your people to bear great fruit, we pray. Amen.